Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Well, we got a nice view anyway. Joseph, nice to see you, buddy. I missed you. It's real good to see you, man. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, can you hear the Van Halen in the background? Nah, it's no, fine. it's all good. Man, the new album is like... Uh, out today. Out today. What's it called again? New York at Night. New York at Night. Man, it is a masterpiece of optimism. Thank you. It's thanks. so optimistic. Thank you for your post and thanks for saying that. Yeah, man, it is optimistic. We made it, you know, uh, I've got a great band, great players, a good team of people. And I had a, a collection of songs I really liked, was excited about. And, you know, we cut all the stuff live. You know, I'm singing live and we're playing live. And, uh, Hobo Sounds and Weehawken? Hobo Sound and Weehawken, yeah. And uh, it, it felt like to me, like, there was some debate about should we hold off putting the record out because of this uh, damn demic. Yeah. And, uh, damn demic. And I thought, you know, the, the album's full of light. You know, it's, a, it's upbeat, it's positive, it's rocking. You know what? No, we need good news in this world. And so I, I said, let's put it out. Hell with it. When I listened to it, uh, I, I had a similar feeling right when the first track hit. I was like, oh man, the timing of this is kind of funky. And as I listened to it, I had a complete, like, all that went out the window. I was like, this is exactly on time. Right. Because, <laughs> because for one, it made me so, like, optimistic. I put on mariachi pants. I was like, <laughs> that's what kind of record it is. All right. And also then I thought, and there's a lot of stuff, it's deep. It, like, for one, there's more street name drops in this record in New York <laughs> than any other New York. He's the than, king of that. That's the king. Like, you, <laughs> how, did you count how many I there did, are? I didn't count or think about it. but like There's a hundred. The songs. <laughs> the songs, places, the garden. No, and, it's New York. Yeah. It's New York. And the songs, most of the songs are written here. They're inspired. Yeah. City inspires me to this day. And, I, you know, it just becomes a part of my writing. You know, if I was living in Alaska... In an igloo, I suppose there'd be a lot of igloo references, but yeah, yeah. No, I love that, and you, it's it's like yeah, it's a. I think it's like the, uh, the anthem album for like the return of of the city. Well, I, I'm, thank you. Uh, you know, New York is rock and opens uh, the album's New York at night, and New York is rock and opens the album. Yeah, and uh, it's it's upbeat. You know, I mean, I, I refuse, I refuse to you know as, as best I can to let this world get me down. You know, and these are hard these are hard times for everybody. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's fun to rock and roll, and we did for this record. Talk about that, like when you say you refuse to let this world get you down, because you're, uh, for one, you defy age. I mean, you look like and beauty. You look like you're thirty in your thirties, and you're about to hit. I'm seventy. I'll be seventy-two in June. I mean, you straight do look like you forties. <laughs> you know, you could be. You could pass for late forties. If, if you see Willie on stage, you would think he was like forty-two. Times. Yeah, like forties. Like dude rocks for two hours straight every <laughs> so show. It's funny. I, it makes me laugh. Sometimes I'm on stage jumping around, going, "What are you doing, dude?" You know, and I'm having a good time. So I think. Yeah. The, I think the music keeps my spirit. Young, but I ref this life is tough. If ever, yeah. if all the countries got along and everybody in the world got along, it would yeah. still be tough. Yeah, e evidenced by this pandemic, and uh, yeah, and I refuse as best I can to like have it drag me down, whether it's people or politics or whatever. I, 
I, you know, I'm a pretty upbeat guy, and, and uh, the music, I want it to reflect that. I don't want to put a record out that's going to bring people down. I mean, you can write about, I've written about Holy War and cell phones ringing in the pockets of the dead. So you can write about all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, pick me up. I want The music picks me up, so I make it hoping it picks other people up. What do you do? In but your... I need some mariachi pants to really get picked up. This... Oh, man, I can hook you up with who got me these. <laughs> She's amazing. That's so, yeah. In Todos, yeah, Catherine. And shout out Catherine. Shout out. She... Yeah, so we can get you hooked up with right, this. Peter Buck has these same pants, too. Well, there you go. If Peter Buck, when you wear them, that's good, so, enough, for, that's good think, enough for me. I think, like, if the, all three of us had it, we could do, like, a remake of The Three Amigos. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. The Three Rockers. Yeah, the yeah. Three Rockers. He would be uh, Martin Short. Hey, thanks a lot. What am I, Chevy you, Chase? No, you would be Steve Martin, and Chevy Chase would be wait, Peter what, Buck. Was Peter was Chevy Chase in it? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, oh, it's uh, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, <laughs> oh, and okay. Martin Short. Why am I Steve Martin? Because he's tall. I know he's well. Uh, Chevy Chase is a little tall. Isn't Peter a little larger know. than you? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what do you do like in terms of like? That fight you have that keeps your optimism together. Like, what? What? What's your personal pro pro program to keep that? I have things I do and I could talk about, but what do you do? It's really not a fight, you know. I just wake up kind of like I'm either too dumb to know any better, or one naive dude. But my mom was always really optimistic, and mm -hmm. I it made an impression on me and my brothers and sisters. We all have a pretty upbeat attitude. I think it's that. I think mm -hmm. it comes from the family and. And I'm excited about to be alive. I mean, yeah. After all these years, I don't have a chip on my shoulder from right uh, for different reasons. Uh, you know, I'm, right. I'm probably just too dumb to know any better. Nah, dude, that's called wisdom. <laughs> that is wi straight up wisdom because you do create your reality. Uh, dumb luck, but I'll take it. You know, yeah. I'll tell you, I might want to have fun. I want to have a good time in this life while I'm here. At some point, we won't be. But while we're here, yeah. I mean, I think this one, this. Uh, pandemic damn-demic plandemic whatever yeah. you want to call it uh has taught us a lot about about that i feel like well you know it's 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 bizarre to say the least and and uh i i kind of i dig being here in new york city you know in this when i go out for a walk you know uh i try to get out every day a little bit mm -hmm. and the buildings are haunted you know, but there's a majesty to the empty streets, I find. Mm. There's still uh, energy and electricity here yeah. that I feel anyway. And sometimes I'll ride my bike along the river here. Uh, I don't know if people can see it, but we're by the Hudson River. And uh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's majestic. It's beautiful. I watch the sun go down, you know, or go on my roof, have a glass of wine, red wine, watch the sun go down. You know, my favorite thing about this is at 7 o'clock every night, mm -hmm. whether you're paying attention or not, all of a sudden you'll hear... Everybody applauds. People banging on pots and pans. That is so inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, man, we are alive. And yeah, there are good people. And yeah, let's cheer on the, the people on the front lines, the healthcare workers, the grocery clerk, the delivery people, everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a shot in the arm to the human race to hear that every night, 7 o'clock. And it, it gets it's grow, it getting louder and louder every night. And I, I think that's beautiful. Something mm -hmm. good about that. There's enough darkness on this, in this world, in this country that... It's nice to counteract it with that, but that's my favorite thing about this is a, a sense of community you get, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, it's up, it's upbeat. I feel good. It's true. It's something about it has brought us all together in a in a way as like a, I don't know. Do you remember? Were you here at nine eleven? Were you in that? Yeah. yeah no, I wasn't. I was over in England when that hit, but I lived here. 
Were you here in the aftermath? I was here in the aftermath. Yeah, I lived here. I was. I heard, were you here when? Yeah, that? yeah. I saw the towers fall. I was on uh, Varick and Christopher. No, nope. just watching it. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. My son, I was, uh, I was on Mc, uh, Bleecker and Sixth Avenue watching them burn, and a buddy of mine, Jeff Hardy, great bass player, really good guy, worked as the executive chef at Cantor Fitzgerald, right where that first plane went in, 105th floor. That's where he worked. Huh. And uh, he didn't make it. Had two kids, but Sorry. the aftermath of that, like it seemed, like it brought the people together. People were communicating more friendlier. You know, I, I thought that was a thing about it. And now, there's definitely we have something in common. You know, this this uh, this, this uh, plague. But I love being in New York. I must say, there's still an en still an energy here. And so you've been here since I moved, since the 70s. I moved or? here in '72. Okay. You know. I graduated from University of Buffalo. Yeah. And I thought, well, what am I? Gonna? I remember I went to my, uh, my four, my. I just took classes I liked. I had no direction. I just, philosophy of art and beauty. That sounds good. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't any good, but different. We, we, on Tuesday nights, we'd go up to the uh, uh, the astronomy. I took an astronomy course on Tuesday nights. You can go up into the observatory, so we would get. We would get stoned, and we'd go up to the observatory and just look at the uh, look at the uh, the what? planets and the star. University what? of Buffalo. Okay. Anyway, oh, I see. That's where the observatory was. There yeah. was, yeah, and it was. I had a great time there. You know, I saw all these great poets read. Saw, you know, Mother's Invention. All these amazing bands. Jimmy Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa was there. He brought on the middle of the show. You know, it was a gymnasium, and it was completely packed. And he was really funny. He did like a twenty-minute version of Louis Louie. <laughs> he said, all, all you, "Is that all you people? You just you just want to hear, you know, something big and dumb." And he played it, and I thought. That sounds good to me. Twenty minutes, and yeah. and then he said we got some special guests, and he invited. He says this is Tom and Jerry, and it was Simon and Garfunkel. Wow! So they came out. No way! Yeah, yeah, they came out. And he called him uh, Tom and Jerry. That, well, that, that was their initial. Yeah, when yeah, they, that was. Oh, for real? That yeah. was their initial in thing. In that song, the only living boy in New York, he mentions Tom, and he's yeah. talking. I know, didn't know that. That. Was, that was their first name when they were first performing, and uh, they did Everly Brothers tunes. Huh. It was great. I mean, I love the Everly Brothers, but in Buffalo, so my senior year, I went to see my guidance counselor. How am I doing? Because I had no, I had no, I didn't have a plan to become a banker or a lawyer. I had no direction. I was just mm -hmm. taking courses I liked and writing songs and poetry. And uh, he said, you're a philosophy major. I go, oh, great. Sounded, sounded heady to me. I go, what can you do with a philosophy degree? He goes, you can go to graduate school. And I went... I'm out. I'm going to New York. I'm going to New York City. <laughs> I'm out. I'm going to New York City to make records. You saw the con right there, right when he said that. You're like, this is a con. No, he was a good guy. Yeah. George Boger, give me an A. Anyway, he, uh, I said, I'm going to make records. So I, moved, I came to New York in 72 in the summer, and, you know, and, and uh, I'm still learning. And so did you, have you lived in the West Village the whole time? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole time. I've seen, you know, the different decades come and go. I travel a lot. But uh, you know, I've seen things. Things always ebb and flow. You know, you know the uh, that, there's a great Hemingway book, A Movable Feast. Uh -huh. I read that after when I I got to college. I came across it and I read it. It's a quick read, A Movable Feast. Yeah, it's about his life in the 20s, living in Paris. Uh huh. And uh, like boxing in the morning with Picasso, going to lunch with a friend uh, in Belgium. They drive there, come back, go to uh, Gertrude Stein's salon in the evening pretty interesting book about the 20s in Paris 
and he calls it a movable feast, and it's a great reference for me for rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Like you travel, you know, you're a rocker. You 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 go from you know, from Berlin to wherever, you know, and it's like the, the party moves. Whether it's whether it's the D- Mississippi Delta, the music there, or, or the, the West the Greenwich Village in the early '60s, or Liverpool with the Beatles, or the Stones in London, or you know, uh, Nirvana in Seattle, the, the the party moves. You know, and I like that. And once, yeah. if you kind of roll with it, with all the changes in New York, uh, you know, you, things change. And if we can accept it as best we can, it makes the party a little better. But I see rock and roll as a movable feast, and New York City is a movable feast. You know, the party is your imagination. You yeah. know, yeah. like, and you bring and, and like your ve- the vehicle is your body, and you bringing that thing with you everywhere you go. Neville Goddard said, the "Imagination is the voice of God." Mm. What do you think of that? I like it. I like it too. I like it, but but but, but I'm definitely gonna get myself some mariachi pants because that's happening. <laughs> I, I'm gonna put on. I'm gonna but to, to to listen to my new record, New York at Night. You need to get some mariachi pants, bro. It, your album sounds so good. Rocking these pants. I was rocking these pants, riding my bike, listening to your record on these badass headphones I have, and it sound. I I guarantee it sounded like ten percent better just because of the pants I'm wearing. <laughs> I guarantee it. There you go. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll hook you up for sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, the movable feast. So you moved here in the 70s and West Village. I just kind of moved into the West Village. I got this gallery space. Um, Michelle Mack gave me her gallery to paint out of nice. uh, during this whole time. Nice. Which is amazing. But yeah, I'm, lo- I'm loving the West Village. I'm, I mean, I'm living in the East Village, but now I'm going to the West Village to work. And so it's kind of like giving me a different West Village perspective. They, they're different. Uh, the, 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 it's a city of neighborhoods, and mm-hmm. they're all different. Like, yeah. like when I wander uptown, it always feels so good to come back downtown. Do you get that feeling? Like if you're traveling around and you, different parts of the city. I love, I'm comfortable in the West Village, East Village. Yeah. It's a little down home. It feels kind of funky and... I like it. I used to kick it with Lou down in the West Village, Lou Reed. Yeah. Yeah. He used to. Uh, we used to go to Perry Street in the West Village. Lennon lived on Perry Street, I think. Joe, did he? I think so. Yeah. Perry Street's rad. Yeah. So you, uh, when did you make your first record? Then you came here. Your nineteen nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. So it took you like eight years to sort of. Well, I moved here in the summer, you know, uh-huh. and. Uh, you know, I was here a few months, and I was just playing open mics. And I played an open mic on the Upper East Side one Sunday at noon. You know, I was just, was I had no experience, so I was getting experience that way. Singing your own songs or oh, yeah. covers? I never sang a cover oh. until later, years later with my band. I never, I didn't have cover bands in high school. I didn't have a band. I just, I wrote, I wrote poetry and was hanging out in libraries by myself, whatever. Loved music, was writing it, but I didn't play any bands. And uh, I was on the Upper East Side, on a Sunday, I forget, I forget the name of the joint, but I was there playing. I noticed this woman was kind of walking back and forth, checking me out, doing my three songs. And afterwards, she says, "I think my boss might might want to hear your songs and meet you." I go, oh, "Yeah, who's your boss?" And she said, "John Hammond." John Hammond signed. Um, Famous. I mean, he signed. Uh, Everybody. Aretha Franklin. I mean, he signed... Uh, John Hammond, the singer? The s- no. no, no, his father. Oh, okay. He signed, I mean, Springsteen, wow. Dylan... Uh, he signed everybody. He signed everybody. I mean, way back. Bessie Smith. He put a show on in the 30s, I think it was, late 30s or early 40s, I forget, in, in Carnegie Hall. 
and he was going to have Robert Johnson come up, but he died just before that. I mean, mm-hmm. this was a really interesting man, you know. And and I and so when she said John Hammond, she was his executive assistant, and I went, "Whoa!" I knew who that was. And I thought, "Huh, this business is easy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Little did I know. So he, I went, yeah. in, I went in his office, and um, he said, "I was, I got in the wrong elevator bank." at CBS building and I was 10 minutes late and he wasn't happy. I got, I'm sorry, I got in the wrong elevator bank and he, he just thought well, that's minus one. <laughs> and uh, so I sang, uh, I sang a song for him, Dear Lord, which is on my first record. And it's a, uh, I was jumping out of the chair, pointing at him and just carrying on. And he goes, oh, oh. He goes, I think we should go in the recording studio. So next week I had a session with, with John Hammond and I was, I'd never been in a recording studio in my life. And uh, had a handful of songs and a guitar, the bridge, the bridge of the guitar was, was uh, like warped and almost fallen off. I had an open tuning, and the best songs I had were in that key. So I, I, I actually have the tape, the recording uh, of that session. And uh, he said, you know, you got something, but you need a little more experience. And he was right, you know. I still need more experience. <laughs> That's where the mariachi pants come in, but once that happens, once that over. happens, it's all over. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> My, Willie's next record. Hey, Willie just went down to Mexico to make a new record. <laughs> anyway, he he was right, and he said, you know, he, he said keep in touch. I never did. I didn't think, oh, I should keep in touch. I just figured that's a no, and I left. I walked away, but yeah. Isn't it funny how life has those moments where, like, you take things a certain way, and then you reflect back later, and you go like. Damn, I was fucking stupid with that. <laughs> I have so many of those. Me too. Dude. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Mis- mistake after mistake. Oh, oh, what was I thinking? Right. Are they classified as regrets or something else? <clears throat> I wouldn't put them as a regret. I mean, obviously, go, oh, duh. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Crucify yourself? Right. That happens enough in this life. You get crucified enough. You know, you don't have to do it yourself. I mean, you go, ah. Just missed opportunity, I guess. You kind of like heckle yourself for it more than a regret. Regret, so like, yeah, like what you said, self damning, where it's more just like, well, you just got (laughs) to chuckle. You got to chuckle at it. Even though, like, you know. You kind of give it the old Homer Simpson. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good attitude, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not a, it's not a planned attitude. It's just like, well, what are you going to do? I can't go back and, re- fix, and fix that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's the fun of it, I guess, falling over yourself and falling over your neighbor. So, yeah. that, was, so, so that didn't happen then? That- no, no, it didn't. it didn't. I didn't get signed then. And uh, the first time I got on stage, uh, I got on stage at the bitter end, open mic. And I got some guy offered me a record deal. I go, this this business is a piece of cake. Yeah. That was before the John Hammond thing. Wow. Yeah. Six years later, six years later, I was playing at Kenny's Castaways, and Robert Palmer, of the New York Times, came by. He was, I was opening up for uh, someone, a friend of mine, and uh, he called the club, and Don Hill was doing. Don Hill was working the. Uh, did you know Don? No, but I mean I've played Don Hills before back in yeah, the day. He's a good buddy. He was you know, really What, what was he doing back then? He was doing the board. He was managing the club for Pat Kenny, you know? Pat, Pat owned it. And uh, Miss Pat, Miss Don. And uh, so I I would go there and jump on stage at, after midnight. What was cool about that scene at Kenny's Castaways was after whoever played their two sets, after midnight locals would get up and just play. Loud and Wainwright would get up, the Roaches, different people you know, with Steve Forbert, whatever. <laughs> and, and, uh, what happened to those times? Those were, those are cool. That's one of the reasons I came here. That, that kind of experience, you know, bohemian kind of thing. And anyway, so 
Robert Balmer, uh, this great writer, called and, he called and said he was coming, and, and Don Hill said to him, you might want to come a little early to catch this this guy who's not wearing mariachi pants yet, but soon will be. Mm-hmm. He said, come and see the opening act, and he did. And I remember being on stage. I was playing solo. And I used to, uh, it was a long, narrow club, and the, the stage was at one end, and there was a bar at the other end. So the sensitive folk singers, like, oh, precious is me, whatever, had a rough time with it because there was so much noise at the bar. When I played, I, I knew how to kind of make a racket and, you know, I was singing rock songs. I was jumping off the stage and shit. And this guy, three rows back with glasses on, kind of a nerdy guy sitting by himself, an intellectual-looking cat. And I thought, oh, he's digging it, but I didn't know who it was, thank goodness. And I got off the stage. I played my 45 minutes, and uh, someone said, that's Robert Palmer. You know who that is? That's Robert Palmer, and he wants to meet you. And then two days later, this review came out. I mean, it, it changed you, know, your you life. couldn't have, yeah, you couldn't have, you couldn't have made it up. It was just, I, I read it in disbelief. You never know where your road's going to take you. You, you, know, you. you know, when you start on your journey, we're all on journeys, you never know where they're going to take you. That particular turn was like, whoa, unexpected. And mm, the I next, love the, that shit. The, I do too. Gives me chills just thinking about it. The next night, the, the, the day the review came out in the paper, uh, I mean, I was broke. I you know I had no money. And I thought, oh, I wonder what this will mean, you know. So the next day, I walked with my guitar down Bleecker Street. It was a Friday night, and it was packed. It was like really so many people. And I walked in that club. You could barely get in because everybody wanted to see who the new guy, you know, who's the new next big thing because he wrote it up to it fairly well. Uh-huh. You know, he said the next Buddy Holly, Gene Vincent, Bob Dylan, whatever. Wow. And it was, you know, I'm, I was none of those things, but for reference points, so people, people that knew me, looked at me completely different mm-hmm. when they when you read something that's when i learned when you read something in print it's tr- people assume it's true they, they well they assume it's true and it's like oh really it kind of gives some kind of a stamp of approval and i played that night people were hanging off their rafters and stuff and uh i got i stepped off the stage and paul rothschild who did the produce the doors or mm. because i managed the doors or something uh, i think you know blah 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 clive davis came Fuck's sake. You know who came? Uh, two of the cramps, Lux Interior and Ivy Rorschach at the cramps. That's amazing. One of my, fa- one of my, favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite punk bands. Yeah. They were sitting right behind Clive, and I thought, you can't make what this up. What the fuck, bro? You can't make this up. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine that? So I'm, I'm a little wanker. I'm a, this, this, little, this little wanker on stage playing his little songs. In the You're audience. a little genius, dude. That's what you are, <laughs> yeah. actually. So, like, it makes sense, actually, bro. It was, it was really interesting. <laughs> the review was of the open mic, and he said you're it, the next it, best thing. It wasn't an open mic. I was I was I played was six, six nights a week. I opened I opened uh, I was opening the the show. I was the opening act. So he was the one that called you the next best best thing around the '80s, and that he's, and he's, then followed so, that in, show. You just described. in so many in so many words, you said you know that, that I, I could be a, a, a an important artist for the times. And and uh, that, did you feel pressure like after reading that? No, like, I didn't. No, it, you know I'll tell you why. It just gave you like air. I mean, but your wings well really. it just i didn't know what it meant but i just thought this is interesting i still have my feet on the ground luckily you know why it's because when i wrote in high school start writing poetry just start stream of consciousness anything that came to my mind not to prove anything not for anybody's o- approval i just was i love the beats i love ginsburg and, and walt whitman it's my shit too gregory corso bob kaufman i discovered him a couple of years ago bob kaufman he's another one whoa he has, a po- he has a poem called Blue O'Clock. Uh-huh. I mean, and, and he has a line called, That's great. My eyes are going on a diet because my tears are gaining too much weight. That's awesome. 
that's a good line. So, yeah. I mean, so Bob Kaufman's full of those lines, but I love the beats. And so I just was writing stream of consciousness stuff. And in my high school years and in college, I was not trying to, I was not looking for approval from anybody, yeah. you know? My girlfriend and my sister at the time, I'd play my, my songs and they would give me feedback, you know? And so I thought, well, I'm, maybe I'm on track, but I, I, had, I established enough of a uh, sense of myself before that, you know, as a writer. <clears throat> that you just I, kept going. I didn't think I was any hot stuff. It doesn't work that way with me. So when all these, I remember like LA Times front page of the arts and leisure section, huge above the fold piece. New York Times articles, Rolling Stone, Time Magazine, uh, Der Stern in Germany. And I remember getting a call from one time from uh, the head of publicity at, at Arista saying, oh, in the LA Times you just got, uh, I thought, oh, that's awesome. You know, it was basically stuff I'd heard elsewhere. They kind of, yeah. the information kind of trickles down. I was happy about it. I just hoped it affected my income. But I, I didn't, it didn't go to my head. I didn't think I was hot stuff. Right. Nah, I don't want that. I don't have that, that disease. Yeah. Interesting, though. Yeah, I've, I've had similar situations. Tell like me. I got Entertainment Weekly, Album of the Year, one year, you whoa. know, that type of shit. Like, how, did, how did you feel about that? What, I felt good, yeah. Like, and, and it also, it did that shift, like, people around me, I could tell. Like, Isn't that weird? It does do a little weird shift, but yeah, it didn't really go to my head so much. I mean, Great. it did in a nice way. Like, I felt like it, it gave, you know. Well, it gives some confidence. Gives like, you a little, gives you a boost in your step, you know. Yeah, like a little, a little pep, pep, a little, a little pep, pep, in, pep in your step, step, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't, like, rewrite your ego, you know. I mean, like. Yeah, that's that's because you're that's because you're a real artist and, and it comes from a real place. Yeah, and that makes that's the difference. If you and I were trying to be an American Idol, which I suggest that when once I get the mariachi, what? yeah, pass, then we'll I recommend get, you. We'll, we'll you, call Peter Buck. Call and then, Peter. We'll go on American we'll Idol mariachi. We'll, I don't know what we'll do. Maybe we'll do a version of God Save the Queen I'm in a mariachi kind of vibe. I don't know. Yeah. But so it didn't throw you a ton off your. It didn't throw you off your game. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, the whole thing has been like, yeah, just. It, 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 you enter a world of abstraction in the first place anyway like as soon as your dreams start coming true to a degree i had a similar thing too like my first album came out and i way was to put it. instantly popular in france and i would go to like clubs and they'd be like full of people nice and it was like oh yeah this is easy i thought the same thing like oh yeah this is easy piece of cake. <laughs> this is a piece of cake when my album comes out in america i guess it'll be game over and then came came, came out in america and like i was playing in, in alabama in front of four people joseph who? you know <laughs> and that and thus begun the long journey home you know but so yeah it's uh but it's interesting to experience for a lot of different reasons as an artist going through that seeing people change around you yeah it's worthwhile. It was worth seeing. You know, it gives some, just some gravitas to like your life in, mm -hmm. in terms of. All right, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. You know, and uh, you know, if you have enough of a sense of yourself, because it knocks some people off their game. And you know, there's there's story after story of people just, fame didn't do a lot for Michael Jackson. You know. Well, right, and also they they change back too in the lean times. Like you see people change <laughs> back. <laughs> you know, like. And then you start getting philosophical. I knew he was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, when you start getting philosophical about, like, okay, like, you do create your own reality. Like, you do create your reality. I, like, I thought of, like, certain things about, like, suffering from people with personality disorders and stuff like that. And the abuse from MPD or this, that, and the other. And then you recover. And you recover your self-esteem. And you get strong. And then other people's personalities 
are can't really affect you in that same way if if you're if if you're like beat down so then you realize i truly am responsible for everything and and the world is a mirror and so you just start like viewing life like that do you view what how do you view it uh it is you know i just see it and it is i just see it like if uh, it's one foot in front of the other and i i you know hope for the best you know accept the worst and just try to ro- i just try to roll with it because things are always changing yeah you know they're just always changing so i see it as a place that just moves from here to there it's a movable feast it's and mo- it's not always that. it's not always a party you know and to get through the hard times one thing about hard times and i'll say this you can really grow and learn from getting knocked down you mm. know you really can and it's yeah. like if you if you and i we came into this uh this this i don't like to call it a business but whatever this art world we live in you know yeah. a music world and everything was easy and it worked perfectly that would be such a I don't know. I don't think we'd be as well off as getting knocked around a bit. No. You, you know, you, it makes you a better person. It can anyway. Well, for a start, you cannot wear mariachi pants unless you've been beat down <laughs> a bunch in life. You have got to have taken some beatings. Now you're talking. And then you can wear, and then you can rock these. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, a Viva Zapata t-shirt when I, when I get the mariachi pants. What's that mean? No, Zapata. You know, there was a, a, a Zapata was a famous Mexican revolutionary mm-hmm. you know he was a hero in the early days of whatever i don't know the history of mexico but marlon brando played him in a film viva zapata that oh was my the film God. yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna have a viva zapata t-shirt with the mariachi pants and yeah. a little guitar we'll go far dude we uh, this is this is a <laughs> band waiting to happen what's your favorite film children of paradise who's that by children of paradise came out in i think 1943 directed by it was written by Jacques Prévert, who's a French surrealist p- poet in the 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, whatever. Um, the director, uh, it'll come to me. It's a film that takes place in, oh, I'm going to tell the story, might come out. Uh, Children of Paradise, Les Enfants du Paradis. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my last album is called Children yeah. of Paradise. It's, yeah. a, it's my favorite re- and m- song. M- movie and song, yeah. Um, yeah, look up who, who directed it. Yeah. Takes place in the 1850s 1945. in Paris, mm. and, and it starts out overlooking this huge boulevard, where there's uh, teeming with people, and it says the boulevard. Marcel Carnet. Marcel Carnet. Marcel Carnet. Release date November 15th, 1946. And it says the opening scene just shows the millions walking on that boulevard up above, mm. and it says the boulevard of dreams. Right. And then the camera foc- goes in closer and focuses on a, a mime. Fa- famous French mime, and he's doing you know his act on stage, and he sees in the audience there's a there's a, a beautiful woman who's an actress, and another guy who's a thief, and he's watching someone pickpocket, and it's just all of a sudden you're in this world of this mime, this actress, this thief, uh, this this underworld. It's a masterpiece, and and, mm. and, the, and the, the dialogue and see it in French. I mean I don't speak French. I know a couple of words. Or they but got subtitles. Yeah, it's but it's it's a masterpiece. It's a they they, they referred it's refer, I saw it when I was at the University of Buffalo. They they refer to it as the Gone with the Wind of art films. Wow. Okay, it, Children of Paradise. Ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, well, it's got to be dude, with a title like Children of Paradise. Do you have a favorite movie? Well, when, it made me think of uh, I think might be on the waterfront. That's why when you brought up Marlon Brando, it yeah. made me think of my favorite movie, Wait, and not, that's why not I the asked Matrix. That. Well, and then second place is The Matrix. <laughs> I saw, 
On the waterfront was on TV the other night. I, I love that movie. It's a brilliant movie. I never get Marlon Brando. Eva Marie Saint. Yeah. Car- Carl Malden. Carl Malden as the preacher is amazing. It's it's a great story about Best. the Brooklyn waterfront. It's a great. It's a masterpiece. It's it's. it's I, I love brilliant. I love film. I love movies. Yeah. All kinds of them. You know, it's a dream world. You know what? On your on your album, your new album too. There's a, I feel like uh, you're in love on that album too. Like yeah, that's ac- it, that's accurate. Feels like it's a love album. I'm in love with yeah. the city and with a with a with a yep. with a lady with a, with a wild woman. Yeah. yeah, you know I'm. Can we talk about your relationship? No, uh, eight years with uh, Christina, who's a fantastic photographer, <laughs> amazing photographer. Yeah. It's, it's ten, Shout it's out ten years. She's a great photographer. Christina Aragoni yeah. lives in. Uh, the north of Italy. She's stuck there now. Oh no! Yeah, she was gonna come back on this. So you guys haven't been sequestered together. No, she's 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 stuck in Italy. Oh and, man! And uh, it's it's hard, you know. I feel, I feel for her. And, yeah. and and you know, it's, it would be much better if she was here. It's hard for her there because she's in the mountains. Mm. She's doing all right. She's hanging in there. You know? I don't know. I'm sorry to hear that. People have it worse. We don't. We're not sick. You know? yeah, yeah. I got tested the other day for. Uh, came back negative. I was hoping I had the antibodies. Right, I know it's better to be tested positive for it. I guess if I mean, for my the whole, my whole band, anyway. my whole band had it. Everybody, like I have several friends who have had it and who I was hanging out with right when lockdown started. So yeah. I must have been around it, but I never got sick. We were all on stage, right. February 29th. We played we played a theater, a nice theater in uh, New Jersey. Johnny was sick that night, and. James Maddock joined us on stage. He got sick. His mm-hmm. girlfriend, everybody got it. And uh, pneumonia. My, my lead guitar player, Jimmy Bones, he uh, he cra- he broke two ribs. He cracked two ribs. He was coughing so hard and so much. Are you kidding? Uh-huh. That's insane. And the drummer, John Weber, got it, <clears throat> but he didn't get pneumonia, and he had a, a milder case, but it lasted for like six weeks. Johnny got pneumonia. I think John- Willie has his own bus, so he didn't get it with the <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Paisano got pneumonia as well. I, I don't know why he didn't get it. I just, you know, if the test is right, but I, I've been, dumb luck. Thank goodness. Yeah. I wish I wish I had the antibodies. That'd be great. I was gonna run around the neighborhood naked if I did, going woohoo, but I, it was negative, so not yet. Well, I mean, I don't. It's uh, there's so much different information. I was watching this one doctor. What was his name? Zach Bush, MD, yesterday in this interview, and he was talking about. We basically live in a world of, of viruses and bacteria and all this other stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do the dumb layman's way of explaining this. I'm, I'm obviously not a doctor, but like there's <laughs> Dr. Really, Dr. Joseph, I'm there's ready. really no way for them to determine that this is even a new virus yeah. and all this other stuff. And, and like also he was bringing up the numbers of like respiratory like death in 2017 was way worse than than this year. Like. Stuff like that that just makes you scratch your head, like that, and the numbers coming back saying that it's, uh, you know, it's it's basically got the mortality rate of a, of a of a bad flu season and not even as bad as 2017's flu season. So I don't know, and and even me saying that is probably controversial, and somebody will be like, "Fuck you, man," you know, and I mean no harm by saying that. I'm just relaying something. I saw an interview yesterday with a doctor talking about this, and so it's co- I don't, it's confusing. I don't, I don't you know, know so. the numbers from 2017, but these this, yeah. this year is bad. 86,000 yeah, in in the U.S. alone. Yeah, you know, it's a big world, and yeah. uh, 
How, anyway. how is that for you to isolate? Do you like, I mean, you're 72. You live in a fifth story walk up. Sixth floor. Thank you very much. Floor I want that sixth floor. In, in the village. <laughs> That's what's keeping you young. And you're a father, a grandfather. <laughs> you have a girlfriend. You can, I mean, you're completely isolated. Rob Banks on weekends. Right. Um, yeah, it's the building I'm in, in the West Village. It's, it's pretty empty. A lot of people just disappeared, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, my neighbors got out of Dodge, which is great for me, like yeah. doing live streams and singing songs. Yeah, I don't get any knocks on the door at all this whole damn time, it's, <laughs> which it's, is great. I, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's easy. I wake up. It's quiet. Mm -hmm. I, I'm able to focus pretty well, given my busy brain. You know, I go out. It's easy to avoid people. It's getting it's dodgy at night. Going out at night is a little bit getting a little sketchy. It's a little sketchy. You gotta be you gotta be careful. And I, I try not to go out, but I'll go out. And uh, <coughs> it's getting sketchy. I felt that on the, the east side mostly. Yeah. No, it's no question about it. It's it's like you got you know there's just people go mm, I don't know about that guy and but it, it it's uh it's easy. I mean I'm in my apartment by myself. You know I got a roof. Yeah, but you feel lonely like no. I'm just no. Nah, dude. Artists don't feel lonely. We just make shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's there's, there's. I've been so busy. You know, doing things for the new record and uh, just you know, well, we trying needed, to. We needed a pandemic to get him on the podcast. Whenever I would ask him, he's like, either I know, we've been trying show, to get Willie. He's so for busy, a long this time. guy. That's finally, too busy. How do, who wants to be that busy? It took I don't, a pandemic to get you. It's here. true. It's nice to be I, I less busy. I I know, and and. Uh, now that the record's out as of today, you know, it's it'll be less. You know, I was up late last night. We were tweaking the website and stuff, and uh, yeah. it's been busy. But I, as, I mean, I, I, I miss uh, Christina, you know, yeah. and I miss my kids and my family. You know, yeah. my, my dad's 102 in Buffalo. God, he's amazing. He's rocking. He, he was born in 19... I miss, I miss the family, my brothers and sisters, you know, uh, yeah. up in Buffalo and... And uh, around the country, but uh, I got a big family. Uh, I miss them. So he as was far around as for the Spanish flu, if I'm doing the math. Correct. Yeah, he said the other day he was born in November of 1917 at home. Mm. He was born at home because of the uh, <clears throat> the influenza epidemic. My mom was born the next year again at home because she couldn't go to a hospital. He said people would get it in the morning to be dead by, by sunset. <laughs> You know, it was really, it was really, you know, 600, <laughs> 600, 650,000 people died or something. And he said the other day... I thought it was more than that. And the Spanish flu, I thought maybe. it was two million. Well, it was like a four-year period. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that was just one, you know, one country or one state. Don't know. But a lot, right. a lot of people died. And, and the life expectancy was a lot less back then, too. It was less, but the, the, the flu is the flu. They suspect that World War... You know, that it was a trench warfare, World War One. So there were people in the trenches. And it got brought back, maybe from the war. People being underground all the time in the mud. But... He said the other day that he was born in a uh, an uh, epidemic, and he'd probably go in an epidemic. He's 102. He's living at home, doing great. One of my brothers lives with him. How's his mind? Still, it's good. still on fire? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, his short-term memory's not that great, but you know, he know, he's doing great. He does crossword puzzles all the time, reads books. He's at, you know He was going to church every day. He's a very devout Catholic. And there's no church, but he's cool. So he's like having dinner with him. He has happy. They have a happy hour every before dinner. My sister is a nurse. I'll come over, have a drink with him. Yeah. And uh, now he's doing fine. If you had a meal with him, which I would heavily recommend, because it's the stories he tells about the 20s yeah. and 30s and 40s, and he's got character. I'll tell you. Here's a story about Dad. 
this past winter, I was in Buffalo. When I go there, I stay with him, you know, and it's glorious. You know, he's just a good guy, you know, has, full of character. He's just a decent man. And it was, was going, getting ready to go to church, 8 in the morning. And I was up, you know, going to the bathroom, and he was going out to get the paper. And I knew it was like four below, zero. And I said, it's pretty cold out there. And so he goes out, gets the paper, comes in, he goes, yeah, that's cold. And he pauses and he goes, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he was not intimidated by it. And he's just a great man. And so I miss, I miss him. But as far as loneliness, like bring you say. Bring it on. That's the secret to life. That's what man. he said. That's bring, the secret to life right there. Bring it on. Bring it on. He's he was 102 years old. He's going to go to church yeah. and pray for the rest of us. <laughs> troublemakers and yeah and he, and it's so cold he goes bring it on and his attitude is like you know we can do this anyway he's doing great i miss him but i don't i don't wake up feeling lonely like feeling like uh i, I just my brain is always going something going on in there all the time <laughs> yeah when you wake up joseph i mean from are you are you are you living alone are you, you i'm living alone and and like the reason i ask about how do you keep your state up is because I'm not uh, naturally resilient, like you're, like you say. I, I dealt with a lot of hardcore depression and stuff like that. Mm. So for me, though, I keep my mind state really positive, but I have a lot of things I have to, that I do that I do to do that. In other words, I like listen to mantras, or I go on a run right away, or I like I'll even like sleep with um, subconscious programming going on saying everything's going to be all right, basically all night long, you know, good for you. And so I make sure like I point my head in a positive space, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's good. I mean, whatever, yeah. whatever it takes, we're all different, but you know, and, and we'll get through this, you know, uh, we just will. So I like that song on the new album too, where you're talking about that. Um, it's like the night where after we made love or the night we made love and the last know, time we made love the last time we made love yeah and there's uh, a lot of poetry in that one that's a great it reminds me of dylan or like prime dylan kind of real estate you're if, dealing if, with if tenderness could kill then sign me up another fool upon a hill mm. for just one moment for the feeling and the thrill of the last time we made love mm. Mm, is right. Um, <laughs> killing. No, it's, I know. I know. It's, it's just it, that's the stream of consciousness. That just yeah. comes. That's not a case of trying to plan something. That's just like taking it down. It's obvious when yeah. you listen to it. It's obvious. Yeah, and and you know I write about the life around me. You know if I you know and and that's why you know New York's around me and there's a lot of New York influence on the album. But I love that song and it came out good. I just did live piano vocal. Stuart Smith, a great guitarist for the Eagles played uh, organ and guitar on that track. It's a simple track. Less is more sometimes. Mm. But I love that song. And, Me and, too, man. And there's a, there's a, there's, I love the whole record. It sounds good. I'm singing better. I'm not really a singer, storyteller really, but it sounds sounding better. You know, the backstreet slide, meditation on death sort of slide guitar going on. I'm, I'm getting greasier in my old age. I like it. And it ends with a uh, like a plea for freedom as well. Run free, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then and then background vocals come in with talking about a revolution for freedom, and that's when I was like, damn, this album is crazy because <laughs> it might be what we need. Like I don't know if you follow conspiracy theories or anything like that, but not that, a ton. No, I didn't figure you would. I mean, I could tell you there's don't. enough going on. <laughs> there, there's enough going on. I mean, I, there are conspiracies, of course. Yeah. You know, 
but I, I don't get I don't go down those rabbit holes too often. Yeah, but I like the I like the concept of there we might need a revolution for freedom. What do you think? Now that, that could be a personal, you know, a, exactly. a, a, a personal revolution in your own uh, person, or it could mean a cultural revolution. It could mean whatever, you, whatever. It could mean a lot of things, which is what I like about it. Like when you write something, it mm -hmm. can mean this, it can mean that, it can mean all of the above, and more power to it. But that song I wrote that that was a recording I did in two thousand three. Really, I, I forgot about it. it. Was sitting in a drawer. Yeah. And I was putting the record together, and I I, I came across the drawer. I go, oh, this one. I forgot about that. And I mm -hmm. listened to it. I go. That could be a perfect closer for New York at night. It is. Run free, yeah. It's crushing. I've never played it live. I can't wait. I can't wait. So funny, the wisdom of the subconscious mind and how the subconscious is an oracle as well, right? That's, that's perfectly put. Perfectly put. You know, the, the subconscious, like, you know, if I sat down and tried to write some of these songs, uh -huh. good luck. Good luck. But if I just let the words kind of fly out, you know, like, I'll tell you a story. The title track, true story, New York at night. Last summer, I went up to the Iridium, which is uh, Les Paul's club. Uh -huh. Les rest Paul's. In, rest in peace. God bless. I, play, I played there. You must have played there. But. I played there in February and, uh, yeah. or January. And uh, Les Paul, for those who don't know, um, he's like. Invented the four track. Yeah. He's just a, really, a revolutionary guy in, in recording and, and uh, guitar playing and whatnot. He had a club. Uh, north of Times Square, 51st Street and Broadway. And I went up on a Friday night to see someone. I can't remember who. Went by myself. Show was over. I come out. Uh, it's a it's a Friday night at 10.30. It's Times Square. And it's packed with people. And I'm going to take a subway down to the village. So I go into the subway, down the stairs. And as I go down the stairs, there's a train pulling in. And I go, great. Walk down there. Doors open up. And I'm getting to the bottom stop. And I look up and I see... When the door is open, near the end of the car, the last seat, there's a can of Ready Whip. There's a can of whipped cream near the door. And I go, well, that's bizarre. So I, I, as the closer I get to it, I see there's a person sitting next to it. I realize that the guy sitting next to it, his feet, his calves, his thighs are covered in whipped cream. Like I'm talking a couple inches. The guy <laughs> covered, he's in a subway sounds car. Sounds about right. Well, <laughs> sounds like Ehud on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, right so that's, the, when, that's when I met Ehud. No. What is it, the one yeah, train? Exactly. What was that? That's what when you year, agreed to do the what podcast. What year was this? <laughs> <laughs> Let me check my calendar where I was. <laughs> it, it just, uh, now, I walked in and I was, I was afraid to look. I go, I don't know what that is, but I'll just like, I didn't, I, I wish I did, but I, I, there was a semi-crowded car. I walked in, walked to the other end. Sat down and I couldn't see back there, but I just thought, I laugh. I go, that's a New York moment, you know. This, yeah. Who puts Ready Whip all over? I mean, I don't know about the upper body. Who knows? I get off at West Fourth Street. Come oh, up. It come, was just from the waist down. I didn't put any in the upper body. <laughs> just on the nipples. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I don't know what that creature. But there was a car full of people, and this one guy over there's covered with whipped cream. I come up at Forest, West Fourth Street, you know, at Third Street, and it's like Friday night, mm. and it's like, you know. It's popping. It's popping. There's college kids, you know, raving, you know, drunks, homeless people panhandling, limousines with rich people, you know, coming out of the uh, uh, the Blue Note. It was a, a live New York City, and I went, "Wow, New York at night." And as soon as I thought that, I went, "That's a song." Like I don't know how it works with you, but like if I, if in a conversation, if I hear a phrase, sometimes I go, "That's a song," mm. and right away I thought, "Ooh, that's a song." And I, I, two blocks walking home, I started writing it. 
got home, walked up the, the five flights, got my guitar and wrote it. And I thought, I had already, I was assembling uh, this album and I thought this is the perfect title track. It fits because the different songs, it's not a concept record or anything, but it fits the, the you know, uh, a lot of the themes. So that the lyric in the second verse of that song is, I went into the subway and it felt just like a dream. Saw a fella going by covered in whipped cream. Uh. There's a tra take a train to Grand Central or an overcrowded bus. There's room on any corner for every one of us. It's New York at night. That was a true story, and it's so much fun to play. Yeah. It's funny, you would not think that's a true story. I know. <laughs> it's a true story. That's crazy. Like, there's Willie making stuff up again. No. Well, most of your songs have, like, even Life on Bleecker Street, which is right oh, yeah. around the corner from you. You, The whole story you tell there is stuff that's actually on that the street. The second verse. Is, is a true story. The owner of the deli is a yes. The only the owner of the deli is a yes man. Is a yes man. He ogles all the women going by. He tries to be discreet from his window on the street. He's a how you doing, honey kind of guy. <laughs> and I would <laughs> I would walk I would walk I would walk in there to get something. You know, it's just a corner deli. And I'd say hi. I was always friendly. And he was this. Uh, he was from Greece. And he was he, a woman would walk by and he'd go, oh, yeah, oh. And he would like mutter under his breath, or mm -hmm. if you waited on a, a good-looking woman, you know, and she walk out, he go, oh, I go, oh, God, he's right out of The Simpsons. So that's true. That's a true story. So yeah, I, 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 most of the things are referenced from, you know, with some liberties taken. It's like a love love album to New York and to your lady, and they kind of blend together into this like Thank sort you. of anthem of survival. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's, it's some uh, the re one of the reviewers said it was a sonic love song to New York City. Yeah, and I I love New York. I'm still learning from it. I want to go to a Yankee game or some sports thing, and and someone hits a home run and they start playing New York is rocking. You know. Oh, that's oh. gonna happen. When the city comes back, that well, should be the anthem. Mm. It, it will. It will be. Yeah. We got a great video. We made a video of it, but I'm holding off a little bit. But we got a video. I'm really excited about. It's killer. Now, do these times concern you about like? still living in a big city such as new york because I, I just for me i'm thinking more like maybe i should go move to a the country or like <laughs> you know the bug out situation like just because also like okay we're gonna recover from this but they talk about phase two and all this other stuff and and at I, what at I, what point, i can't wait for phase two i'm ready bring it on <laughs> damn <laughs> this is on. <laughs> and you're not worried about 5g none of that kind of thing no that's to answer your question, like yeah, living in the country be nice, be simple, get away from yeah. get away from things. I just uh, one 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 wave at a time, and this wave, I'm still feeling the energy of the city. It still inspires me. I'm writing a bunch. Mm -hmm. I was gonna fly to Buffalo some weeks back, uh, you know, in March, you know, just to get out of town because it was gonna be shut down. And I thought I can't be going to JFK, getting on an airplane, mm. going to my dad's house. He's 102 and risking bringing, uh, you know. And my brother Joe lives with him, and Joe had asthma all his life, and I, I didn't want to risk it, so I stayed here. Yeah. As far as getting out of town, I don't know. I'm hoping to go to Italy in June. I'm going to try. Hopefully, I can get on, uh, you know, the plane and go to Italy. But uh, I don't know. I mean. I'm not worried about uh, like an escape from New York kind of happening where there's riots going on. I mean, that could, things could happen, but people are pretty civil for the most part. You know, would you find that where, where, when you walking around? Uh, yeah, for, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I've been, I've enjoyed oddly being here over this time. Like, uh, me too. I, I'm glad I've been here. It has felt, 
it has been special. It has felt like a spark to creativity and sort of like uh, the necessity, like uh, Herman Hess says, the best things are born of necessity. And like, it, it certainly felt like what w- things that we're doing feel necessary in these times, you know? Have you been doing live streams and that kind of thing? I haven't started yet. We filmed something yesterday. With, with the Hooter, yeah. With uh, the Whipped Cream Man and, uh, <laughs> w- and uh, uh, we'll put well, some let people know because this will be out before that. You'll you're gonna do some sort of stream where people yeah. Could, uh, gonna tip be, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that with the tip jar and stuff. I haven't done it. We did a fan funding thing in. We started like February 22nd. You know, raising funds for the album. The fans the fans are up been so great. You know, that's how. How'd you do that on Patreon or? We did it. No, we did it through. Uh, in the past, I've done it through Pledge, but that folded, and so we just did it on Shopify. We just opened up our own store on Shopify. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the label that distributes my my work, virtual label, they're really good. They ran it, you know. I mean, they, uh, yeah. And my social media guy, you know, told them what to do and stuff, and they ran it. But like it was February twenty second. We were lucky. Two weeks later, and who knows? So we did. I did. I didn't want to keep hitting the fans up for stuff. I so I haven't. I've, I've held off doing a live stream, you know, because there's no income. I lost the Spain tour and Italy tour, lots of gigs in the north. You know, if there's a new album coming out and there's no shows. So I will. We'll. St- I think. I don't know what when we'll start doing it. Uh, next week's at some point. Well, this is going to air what Monday or Tuesday. So sometime later this week, uh, we'll put the word out on social media when we'll we'll air the, what we did the session I did yesterday. And then after that, two weeks later, I'll do something else. But I'll try to get a. T- are you doing live stream stuff? I am, and I and and only on one of them have I suggested like, hey, if you want to tip me, yeah. you can you can do. Here's my PayPal or whatever. Well, when you're a multimillionaire like yourself with the mariachi pants, you can afford it. I know. <laughs> no, it's like I know because it's like it, it is awkward, but I do think it feels good to be like you know. I feel like it's good to receive. Like to and to be open to receiving. So, yeah. how would you recommend suggesting people tip you or giving that option in a way that doesn't feel off-putting? How would you put? Well, that? here's the feeling. Like, how uh, do you do we, it? we've talked about it. Uh, um, there's ticketed events and stuff, and I don't want to. Yeah. At some point, might get to that. Like, you want to see a show? Here's going to be a show. But for now, right? Like everybody's hurting financially. Mm-hmm. You know, people are out of work left and right. And uh, the mm-hmm. thing with the nice thing about the tip jar is you pass the hat. You know, if if people you know have some money, they can afford it and want to support. Yeah. The, the, so the how artists. do you how do you word it though? Do you say it in like a thing? I well, we haven't put it up yet, but it'll be like, hey, there's a tip jar. I, I said it yesterday. I think I mentioned, hey, there's a tip jar if you want to, you know, put some yeah. money in it. Uh, there's no shows going on, uh, but if you don't, that's okay too. Yeah. I think it's uh, the, the thing about having a tip jar is it's like if you can't afford it, that's all right. You hear some music, hope it picks your spirits up. Right. It's fun to play. It feels good to play when you play. It feels good, no? Oh, I love it. It's I, f- I, it was fun yesterday. It felt so good to play again, you know. And, oh, and yeah. there was no people. Well, you were there and Stuart was there. It just felt good to play again, you know. And, and to, uh, yeah, I felt like getting back on the horse. Yeah. Far, I'm not in temp- the tip jar thing. If people can't afford it, they, they can like just watch it for free. Yeah. And if they can support it, be great. People have been, a lot of people have been contacting me. Hey, man, I want to support. You know, get, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I held off just because we did the the fan funding thing, and I just didn't want to be hitting the fans up every other day. You know. So uh, you know, I'm gonna. And it's hard for an independent artist like you and and like. Well, Joe, there's no there's no income. Where really the live touring, I know you're on the road. Two that's, thirds of the year, my main income. and that's your main income, yeah. and, and that's gone away. I, my, I, we moved this Italy tour to November, and I found out yesterday that's now canceled. Yeah, no, I, I lost 
I lost a bunch of tours. I was going to two and a half months with Greg Dooley. And and then I had like uh, a couple other like pretty pretty good paying gigs on the books that that went. But I'm a painter, so I I'm I'm uh, good with good that. Out, like yeah. that's I'm blessed in that way. Yeah. So this is my, not my only source of income. That's but if, great. But if it were, I would be much more like yo. Listen, here's my dip <laughs> jar. <laughs> no, I mean you know what I mean. Like, I mean, think about it. My band my band members. I mean, there's no money coming yeah. in. Yeah. But how does it's, it feel no, it's for brutal. you? For working musicians, it's really hard. It is. Yeah. How does it feel for you to? Because I had this conversation with somebody else. Where bigger bands who spent four years making an album, they put it out in March, and then you can't tour for it. So. You just did this album, you spent the time, the money, yep. and then sort of having the rug pulled from under your feet saying, well, you can't tour for this, you can't support it. You can't go to radio stations, do interviews. Yeah. There's a lot you can't do. So what do you do? You do what you can do. Yeah, you bring it you, on. You bring it on. You pick yourself. Bring it on. What did Dad say, you know, after Mom died, you know, 13 years ago, my, my beloved mother who everyone just adored, and he, I said, you miss her, Dad. You know, about a couple of years later, he goes, 24/7, not a moment goes by, and he goes, but you gotta, you gotta pick yourself up and get on with it. <laughs> I, lo I love your dad. <laughs> you would love this guy. Apparently can we get him on the podcast, uh, like Max? I mean, like, he's, he, I'd fly to Buffalo to interview this guy. He's, but he's right about that. He would, but, but, he, yeah. but he does. He's given me the best advice in my life uh, at, at down times. He'd say, all you can do is the best you can. Do, you yeah. know, he's very devout Catholic. He'd say, just do the best you can. You can't do. You you can't. People are going to do what they're going to do. All you can do is what you do. Yeah. Do what you can and leave the rest in God's hands. That's and I go well. That's pretty. That makes a lot of sense. You know, all you all we can do is our best. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I asked him. You know, and he said you got to pick get your pick yourself up and get on with it. I mean, he's a tough cat. Yeah. And a, and a good man and, and uh, a gentleman, but he's. Got conviction, and he and he prays. I bet you that gives him so much strength. Do you and know courage. what? He wakes up in the middle of every night and does a holy hour. Yeah, I've asked audiences, does anybody here know what a holy hour is? Yeah, not not once has anyone said. He wakes up in the middle. He's 102 years old. He's been doing this for I don't know 60 years or something or more. He wakes up in the middle of the night, goes to the bathroom, and then he goes sit in a chair and for an hour, he'll sit in the chair. I've got video of him. You know, because yeah. I'd get up and you know, I'd see him and I'd just take a video. And he'd be reading like, uh, you know, some meditation books. He'll have prayer cards, like of old relatives, like from the 30s and 40s. He'll read the prayers on the back. He prays for people. His prayers, I, I suspect, are pretty powerful. To this day, he does holy hours every night. Mm. So in his, uh, you know. Uh, taking requests? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually, a few that's a good question, but it's true. So he's, he, this guy's got it worked out, you know, his religion, yeah. his faith works for him. My faith is in, in, in the music, rock and roll kind of is like where I put my heart and my faith. I believe in it. I think that music can be redemptive. Absolutely. It, there's, there's salvation can be in it, you know? And, you know, uh, I forget the question you asked, but dad, you know, he's, well, that his strength comes from prayer, probably, and, and his, oh, yeah. and faith. His, his, his strength comes from faith. He, I find so much strength and courage in that. I pray too, and and yeah. pray to Jesus as well. You know, I don't yeah. know. Do you have any kind of? Uh, do you pray to Jesus? I'm always I'm always praying. I'm praying right now as we're yeah. speaking. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it, like you say about giving and receiving. Mm -hmm. My mom used to always say it's better to give than to receive. I used to tease her about it, but she she knew I was kidding. Mm. It's it's true. And, uh, you know, there's a reverence or uh, sanctity. There can be sanctity in a song. There can be a sanctity in a kiss. 
that can be sanctity in a lead guitar solo. You can find there's revelations all over the place. You know, is it Buddha? Is it is it Jesus? Is it you know the neighbor that speaks to dogs down the hall? I don't know. Don't know. And I don't have the. I don't need to put a name on anything like that. Mm. You know, but I have faith. I have faith that people are mostly good. You know, for the most part. You know, if you and I were if the three of us were driving whipped cream man yourself and myself if we're driving in the midwest in you know rural country redneck red you know red state country and we got a flat tire or had a car accident and we knocked on the door i'm sure that people would help i just came up with a good opening line for a song go people are mostly good or they want to be yeah yeah and if they're not they got hell to pay (laughs) 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 that's the b-side yeah (laughs) So when did your first album come out? Because we started going into your history, but like... 1980. 1980. And, and what label was that on? Arista Records. I, yeah, I got signed from that uh, review. From that, from that review, that Clive Davis? Or? Yeah, Clive came down and saw me play, and I had a meeting that week at his office. And I had to go in there and put a show on. Like he had like 40 people in the room, all the, all the big people at Arista, had yeah. heads of departments. And there was no reverb in the room. It was the most dead room we ever. And I had played acoustic guitar. I just sang songs, told stories, and, and I got signed that day. Yeah, put a record out. Toured with the Who across the U.S. Wow! That, I'd never been on stage with a band before, ever. And they gave you a band, or you put together a I band? I put together or? a band to make the record. I had uh, Patty Smith's drummer, J.D. Doherty. Television, my favorite all-time New York band. Fucking love them, Marquee Moon. Marquee Moon. Give me. I used to see them all the time when they play. All the time, and uh, Tom Verlaine, Tom Verlaine, Richard Lloyd, Fred Smith was my bass player. You know? Amazing. Billy Billy Fica, the drummer, and uh, uh, Peter Hoffman, a great guitar player from Boston, very stonesy, and Clay Barnes, a uh, uh, great guitar player from Meridian, Mississippi. So I, I, put, I had a band, put it together, and we did like a three-week tour across the you know clubs, uh, some you know some student, some college things, and. Uh, Next thing I know, we're at the Roxy in L.A., and uh, it was packed. They wanted to see, like, the, the, the new next big thing, right? And Freddie Mercury came out to the show. What? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so did the Who's management. You know, someone had told me that the, the record company, that they heard Pete Townsend was a big fan of my record, and I just, great. I didn't take it. I didn't believe it. I thought it was just some record company hype. And sure enough, we, uh, Bill Kerbishley, great guy. We're friends to this day, and I'm came back saw the show and said you know we're on tour we just did eight shows in la and we're going to tour across the country and they wanted me to open up they kicked off the opening band they had and i opened up and it was i mean i'm a big who fan who doesn't like the who mm. and to see them night after night three weeks across the u.s or whatever it was glorious i mean i'm thinking you can't make this up right so 1980 was the first year yeah first album came out that year you're still friends with those guys, right? Yeah, the, I, mean, I played uh, with uh, I played with the I played with Roger uh, Daltry. Roger did a uh, cancer benefit downtown in uh, Manhattan. Yeah. A lot of Wall Street people, so it's big, big money. And he played with the Who band, and uh, I joined them for three songs. It was glorious. And I think about four years ago, it was two years ago, maybe two or three, four years ago, the the Grammys charity Music Cares was honoring Pete Townsend and Bill Kerbishley. And they and I got a phone call from my booking agent one day, and he says, "Hey, what are you doing May 28th? I'll never forget the date. It was early May. I go, I'm in New York, because I just got a call from the Grammys, and uh, they're honoring Pete Townsend, Bill Kerbishley, and they're having five artists play two Pete songs, 
and they need they ask if you want to be one of those five. I went, hell yeah, to play with the Who. That's amazing. They had it was it was Bill it was it was Roger Roger Daltrey, Bruce Springsteen, Joan Jett, Billy Idol, and me. I remember thinking, what's wrong with this picture? You know, <laughs> Joan Jett. It was so no 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 that I was there. I'm joking, yeah. I, I, it on, was Joan Jett rocks. Dude. I, what know, are you talking I know. About? Joan Jett rocks. Anyway, it was so much fun. It was I got to play with the Who. I mean, it was so much fun. That's so, great. I mean, you never know. My, my, I think the, the, the underlying thing of that is there's something to be said for believing in your dreams, you know? I mean, yeah. when, what made you, you want to start making music? What, ma what, what made you think you could make records and play? I, I don't know, man. It was weird, but I, um, I remember telling my dad, like, uh, before I even wrote songs, I said, I'm going to be one of the best songwriters ever. And I believed it. Good, good for you. You know, and it's like, I don't know where that comes from. It, uh, like, I think a lot of it comes from this desperation and this like, whole, like God-sized hole, you know, and this need for love and stuff like that that drives people to like have those dreams. So I think they come from dark places and they come from inspired places, like in in a mix, you know. So it's like, yeah. it's partially like this sort of divine spark, and and then mixed with this deep human unmet need and then th that's like a a tnt explosive of dreams and then like and then like it, if you need them that's when it, it happens you that's know? that's really well put it sounds like i was seeing a painting there a tnt of dreams mm -hmm. i was thinking of one of your paintings but i mean that's really well put you know yeah. and everybody has darkness in their life it's oh, just yeah. you don't get through this life without getting knocked around you just don't and no. how, how people deal with it we're lucky you know i mean you get to write songs and paint uh -huh. you know things oh, that that means something to you whether yeah. it's funny or, or or just humorous or whatever or passionate same here i get to write songs of all kinds hey hood you get to film and interview and do the work that you do you're good at it and you like to do it you know and we're lucky we have those outlets. Not everybody does, and yeah. we're lucky to say the least. Yeah, we're very blessed. You and and you like for took a long time off. Actually, though, I like, walked away. You walked away. What was that all about? In uh, so in 1980, I'm the next big thing, yeah. right? And, and Billboard page seven and eight, double page spread. Yeah, you know, big picture of me, my my silly mug. And quotes from uh, New York Times, L.A. Times, and Rolling Stone was behind you too. Aren't all right? that stuff, yeah. I was, I was really lucky. The critics have been really, the writers have been really, really good to me. And uh, uh, we toured, you know. And the record, there was no hits on the record, but I was just, I was just happy to be making a record, mm -hmm. you know. The places that it took me, you know. I got to tour with the Who across the U.S. Mm. And um, thank you, Ahead. And uh, I made another record the next year, and uh, Golden Down, and. Uh, I made it at the record plant, and uh, we were in the studio the last week. John Lennon was in the studio. He was killed. He left the record plant, and uh, the last autograph he gave was to the guy who gave him the strings the night before, which was me. The last thing he recorded was the strings I gave him. And Wait, what? Oh. Yeah, it's a deep story. I'll tell you in a minute. So, uh, well, I'll <laughs> tell you. So it's it's a deep story. Uh, we were making a record, my second record, in December of 1980. And uh, we started on a Friday night, December 5th, and uh, Friday. And apparently, John and Yoko started Monday of that week. John was producing a record for her, Walking on Thin Ice, which is a great track. And deep, like, poetic for what was about to happen, Walking on Thin Ice. 
I mean, it's it was so heavy. So we, we got there, there's the subconscious wisdom again. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. There's there's a lot of rivers that are flowing. There's a great one of my favorite lines is Shakespeare line in Hamlet, and he said there are more things between heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophies. Ooh, that sounds like a Dylan line too. It's, it's Will, Willie the Shake. Willie the Shake. He knew he knew how to put pen to paper, dog. Willie the Shake. <laughs> Willie the Shake. Don't fuck with Willie the Shake. I'm buying. Uh, his, I'm buying his records, man. Yeah, of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say that. Say that line again. That, it's it's uh, it's been a guiding. You know, there are more things between heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophies, and I saw it I on a that. Twilight Zone. <laughs> I first heard, and there's a movie called Svengali with John Barrymore, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great old 30s movie. Mm. And he, he, at one point, yeah, look at that movie. It's it's about Bohemian living in Paris in the early in mid 1800s, and uh, he's like this poor ragged guy, and he hypnotizes uh, this uh, woman, this model, a nude model. And at one point, he's calling her from his apartment across Paris, and he looks into the camera, and his eyes start going like. Mm. And, he, and he says to his uh, sounds like the uh, bodega guy the Greek <laughs> bodega yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of they have something in common <laughs> anyway and, and he says to his sidekick there are more things between heaven and earth than I dreamt of in your philosophies anyway so I made the second record and uh, uh, I'll, I'll finish the, the, the Lennon, Lennon story so yeah. uh, you know on a Sunday night we get a phone call um in the studio, uh, we started on a Friday, and, and my uh, co-producer Tom Panunzio had worked with John, and he said, "You want to meet him?" And uh, we were in there making a record, you know. And I go, "Well, let's let's get a few things cut first, maybe in a few days. I'd love to meet him. Are you kidding me? Okay, I'm a total Beatle freak." And um, so Sunday night, I said, "Let's." Because you wanted to have something to play him, or something? maybe I said, "Maybe we'll play him something," but right. also I didn't. I wanted to that he was in the building was kind of a. Uh, a good luck charm I took it that way you know for us anyway it was just we were all so thrilled that John Lennon was in the building yeah he was in the mix room upstairs we were I was in studio a and there was a piano there that uh, he had played and and anyway the phone rang at midnight and uh, it was uh, one of John's engineers on a Sunday night saying that John was it was December uh, 7th um, 1980 and uh John's out of strings. Does anybody, can he borrow some strings? So we, John needs strings. So we gathered, we, we gathered guitar strings and we sent him up. I was going to put a note, you know, to John. Thanks for all the music. I love you. Thank you. And I thought. And by the way, you owe me five bucks for these strings. <laughs> joke. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'll tell him in person when I see him on Tuesday night. So we sent him up and then we, we recorded another, we two in the morning, we went home. And the next day we came in, which was uh, the 8th of December, 1980. Monday, and uh, we, I, I've got a copy of the, the schedule for that day. John was doing it at 7.30. They were mixing. And uh, the engineer said John played on those strings till uh, 4.30 in the morning. And that's a guitar on Walking on Thin Ice. This really great, searing, raw, driven, manic, crazy great guitar. Those are our strings. And uh, my strings. And... Uh, that night we were recording. I'm playing the piano. That every time I played it, I thought of John because he had played it many times. And phone phone rang about 10:30 at night. Phone rang 20, 20 after 10. And Tom got the phone. Tom Poninzio. He's I'll be okay. I'll be right there. Yeah, I'll be right back. He didn't tell us, but that was the engineer saying John's coming downstairs. And unbeknownst to me, 
Tom had, had a friend in Jersey who was bugging him. He was an autograph collector. He said, can you get John's autograph for me? So Tom told the engineer, tell John that the guy who gave him the strings would love an autograph. His name is Ken. You know, we did a favor for, you know, I, I had no knowledge of any of this. So that call was meet John at the elevator. He went out and saw John, gave him a hug. Last autograph John ever gave. And went, out and went to the car and five minutes later it was, was, was shot. Tom came in about 15 minutes later and he goes, somebody just Far. shot. So we're behind this, I'm behind the, the board listening to a playback because we continue to record. And uh, he said, somebody just shot John. And I thought, John who? You, know, that, you don't put that together. And then it unfolded from there and uh, it was really so tragic. And uh, That's insane, man. Yeah, phone was started ringing off the hook. You know, David Geffen called. John's there, right? Yoko just, a friend of Yoko just called and said he's on the way to the hospital. No, he left 15 minutes ago. Sad stuff for all of us. If he was alive now, I mean, he'd be a great force for good in the world, you mm -hmm. know? God bless him. Anyway, uh, the next record came out, Golden Down. We worked it, and I had legal problems with a uh, with, uh, lawyer, uh, you know, former manager, whatnot, and, and it just was such a drag. I thought, you know, I didn't come into this, I didn't come to New York and to get into this business. I came here for some joy and for, to make music and try to make a living. And it's turning into this big pain in the ass. And I went, I'm out, let's get out of here. So I walked away and... Do you think the, what happened to John also had an effect? Probably did have an effect on me, probably. I mean, that's real intense, man. Yeah. Like that's, and to be that close to that. It probably did have an effect on me. I mean... I never it, thought about that, but you, now that you mentioned it, I'm sure it did. <sighs> I mean that's heavy. There are Even more just things. Hearing that is heavy. There are more things. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's a, like Yoko said. You know, he, he's probably a cloud passing over us now, smiling. Yeah. Hopefully, but. But still, that would have a huge impact. Yeah, I didn't want to put up with. Uh, I mean, business is tough, whatever business you're in. Mm -hmm. And I I don't have, I never fortunately I never got a chip on my shoulder. You know, it's hard for everybody in every different aspect of business. That's what you know? I think too. They say the movie business is tougher than the record business, who knows, mm. but but you know, all business is tough. Right now. What, 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 yeah, that's why people say, oh, you know, it's tough what you do. I'm like, yo, what is not tough? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> What's not tough on planet Earth? Getting through days is tough. Mm. Getting through days with your head on straight and uplifted well, is, you, you is could, a spiritual challenge beyond belief. You can always just wear mariachi pants and cover yourself with uh, whipped cream, and that helps get through the day for some people. Yeah, well, that'll work for an hour or two. <laughs> but you need a few other tricks up your sleeve. Yeah, well, that's that's what that's what the that's what you got to learn. How long did you walk away for? Well, I I went back to Buffalo, and I was. Uh, um, it was um, the next record I put out was ten years later. Ten, and what did you do? Well, I, after two or three years, I, you know, I, I was, I continued writing. I'll, yeah. I'll always write. I, I don't need to be signed to a label or a camera on me to write. I'll just write because it's fun. It's what I like to do. Yeah. And I, I continued to write, and uh, and then two or three years later, when I thought, ah, oh, these are pretty good songs, I, I tried to, I made phone calls. I couldn't get arrested from being in 1980. You know, next big thing, and, and all these managers wanting to manage me to not being able to get phone calls answered. Interesting lesson to learn. Well, that's why I said like uh, earlier when I said, yeah, and then they, you see how people change, and then you also can see how people change back. Listen, the, <laughs> wind, the, the wind blows this way. Oh, that dude, one. yeah. I wrote a song uh, <laughs> with my Fairweather friends. You learn, and uh, you know, I, and I, I, it was a good experience, actually. It was really, yeah. it was really hard because I had, we had four kids to raise on fumes. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, got through it and signed to Columbia. You know. Well, also yeah, you learned under the decade. People treat you how you treat yourself, man. I mean, like I've learned that. Like uh, you know, yeah. like if you if you hold yourself in seriously high regard, others will too. It's as simple as that. It's good to have self-respect. You know, not you know not to go overboard on anything, but if your feet are on the ground and you just treat people like my dad would say, treat people. Treat people like, you know, you know, right and wrong is pretty obvious. There's right and wrong. Sometimes it's a gray area, but like mm -hmm. treat people good, do your best. And yeah. I like Dylan's line. If something ain't right, it's wrong. <laughs> Remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. He's got a lot of lines. Yeah. So what'd you do for those 10 years? You kept writing, but what were you doing for well, a living? Spent whatever money I had, borrowed a lot of money. I worked in the post office for a brief spell. Like Bukowski. <laughs> yeah, Bukowski. I did my Bukowski bit. I didn't last long. I was not very good at it. Mm. You know, when you're a postman and you're out there and you you're always ring twice. and you're slow, well, I would ring twice <laughs> when when you're out when you're out there delivering mail yeah. and, and you're late. I was new at it. I was, you know, I'm, I'm driving in a countryside in some vehicle and people waiting for their welfare checks and they'll meet you on the road. You know, oh, where's my mail, man? And you, you know, and they say, if you're not at the house, they can't get the mail. That's I can't give it to. Anyway, it was fascinating. And uh, I got a publishing deal. Uh, a few years in there, I had a publishing deal. I got through, that helped me get through, and then I did a I did a charity gig in '87 uh, in uh, Norway, in Oslo. Some writer died. Tore Olsen, O L S E N. He was like the godfather of writers in, in uh, uh, Norway. And someone, I got a phone call out of the blue from someone, a promoter, and he said this guy was championed me. In, in Norway, and he died. Uh, he was in a magazine, and he had a car accident in the snow, and he had a couple of kids, and they were raising money for the wife and kids, and they'd fly me over. And so I'll, I'll do that. I hadn't played in years. But Greg Trooper, God bless Greg, his band was there. Larry Campbell, guitar player, great band. And, he, and Greg said, we'll back you. Come on over. So I went and played there, and they filmed it. And uh, I did a 20, half an hour set, and I took that video of that, Gave it to a, a producer I knew at Columbia, and he, he, he and I went, oh yeah, you, signed me to Columbia. Mm. So I made another. It was ten years in between my second and third record, but even so, with all that was really hard time. That was a, I don't know how. September comes around, kids need shoes for school, new books, and you got nothing, or next to nothing. We got through it, and uh, you grow from stuff like that. It made me stronger for sure, you know. Wow. I don't know. I mean, I accept the things that come my way, and I bob and weave. What a friend of mine said the other day, you know this pandemic thing? You got to rope-a-dope it. You got to do Muhammad Ali, rope-a-dope the, the pandemic. You know? mm -hmm. And it taught me, you know, to have faith in, in, in my instincts and what I do and, and to do the best you can. We got, we, it was really difficult. Hard on my wife, you know. She was so supportive. It was great. And, uh, you know, we're all close to this day. It's great. I have four kids, four grandchildren. Life is, I'm knocking on wood. But I got through it, signed to Columbia, you know, and uh, it, it, the journey goes up and down and around and around, you know, as you well know, and we, as we all know, name, mm. name anybody pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but especially in the arts, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll get a lot of that. And, uh, and that's never been better than these past bunch of years. I'm putting records out yearly. I'm loving. I got great band, great musicians to play with. Last 20 years, nonstop, you've been on the road. You're killing it, dude. 
I mean, and the new album is, is it, fucking great too, by the way. Thank you, man. We've already said that. But. The audience, you know, the, the fans of people like when you travel and you go to London, you know, or you're in Paris or whatever, Rome, you know, I, there's, I, there's, I got friends and good people, all these, all these, all, all these places, you know, when I tour, that's one of the things I look forward to most is seeing old friends. Mm. Breaking bread again, going to great restaurants and sharing that movable feast. The movable feast. It really is. Uh, I, I treasure it, and and the fans have been so supportive. So I'm excited today because today's the, well, this will air a couple of days. But like the record's out now, and I, you know, I put my heart and soul into it. You can hear it. It's it's alive. The thing I like is the way it sounds now is the way it's going to sound in 30, 20 years and 50 years, and it sounds like it's full of life. Oh yeah, it does. And it's upbeat. It's full of love. And it's it's alive like rock and roll is still alive. It yeah. makes me think like this is alive. Like and I like yeah. one thing you said too about like oh yeah in in, in Bushwick they're playing they're dancing to a new Jack beat. Oh yeah, I like that. <laughs> Give our regards yeah. to old Broadway because New York is rocking. It's here to stay. Yeah, New York, New York is rocking. I can't yeah. wait to play that. I played that. I, we did it yesterday. I did, played it yesterday in the studio. You know, on the, on the with Hooter. The thing we did and uh mr whipped cream mr whipped cream <laughs> but you know the thing, the thing about willie and you've come up in this podcast a lot with uh, other artists that we've had you're somehow either connected to them or mm. that you're 72 and you don't see too many singer songwriters other than the heavy hitters that are still doing it um never gave up no, I know, but like when we had Ben Leon, he said that his wish that his, oh, yeah, his he, best work would be in his, in his 70s, 70s. and later in life. Mm. And to me, you're the epitome of that because yeah, thank you. you are just relentless and you don't stop and you just keep. And I, and I feel like every album is better. Those early ones are killer too. Yeah, though. no, it's all good. Thanks, but Joseph. but you're. I always give you as the example as look at somebody Definitely in his 70s. Definitely not letting up who's still killing it and crushing it and and amazing on stage amazing live amazing albums and thank and you you're just that well thank you you know it's i don't it's go in, i don't make a record just to make a record if i don't think it's going to be special i don't go in you don't do, you don't go in to make a no, record if you think it's hard. crap it's too hard to do it you go in when you believe yeah. when you feel good about something yeah. and 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 it's fun to share that with the audience the fans you know and friends you know it's a communal thing you know, however big or large, it's not Michael Jackson size, you know, it's mom and pop store size, but it's a good mom and pop joint. And I'm, I'm having more fun now than ever. Yeah, like who? Than ever. Uh, yeah, it's like, I, I feel wouldn't... so blessed, man. I'm a, yeah. at that mom and pop store level too. Yeah. And it's like, I love it. Yeah, What do I want it to go more epic or bigger? Yeah, yeah hey, I, I'm fine with being rich. I'm okay, with, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Bring that shit on, I'll take it. Let's do it, let's do it. But if it doesn't, I'm good, like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I know that's not the point, you know? Yeah. The point is, if you're no, it's not. lucky to, to, like, have a sense of purpose, that's the point. Like, waking up with a sense of purpose, that's the, that's the point. And, and that's something that you define. Nobody defines that for you, and that's your power. That's well put, Joseph. You're, you're, you're eloquent. You describe it accurately. I had a, a professor once at the University of Buffalo, Jack Clark. Mm -hmm. He was a William Blake scholar. Fuck love William Blake. Yeah, William Blake. and uh, Another big hitter. A big hitter. And I, I had a, I, when I was at the university in 71, I took a course he taught on Walt Whitman. Mm. And in 1987, I had a niece who was graduating from high school, and she was debating him. I go, what college are you going to? And she said, I, I don't know. 
if I'm going to go, I go, oh, you got to go. It's great. I go, let's go sit in on a class. So we went. It happened to be January, first day of the second semester. And we get to the university, and I'm looking over what the classes are, and I say, Jack Clark's teaching a Walt Whitman class. Boom, I remember this guy's great. We went, and she, he was just such a great, he knew the pathways of the soul. You know, he had big slit marks on his wrist. Whatever journey it took him, he was an amazing guy. He'd been, he'd been in a car accident, you know, and he used to talk like this, you know, his neck. But he was so, he was so inspired and inspiring. But you know the pathways of the soul as well. And the way you describe things, you know the dark corners, the light corners, ways in and out of each. You know, you, you're, and you're eloquent, eloquent about that. And Jack could talk that talk. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, you do your best. You believe in yourself and treat people, try to treat people good. You know, and it's not a... It's not about being American Idol. No. Not, not to knock that show, but I don't watch it, but I, that's not my goal, to be famous. I'd love to be stinking rich. I'd be, you and I would be really good rich cats. I can tell that yeah. right now. <laughs> I can tell it too, but, to, but the, the fact that we've been humbled is what, uh, what, bloom, be like what gives us the empathy for other people and also humbles mm. us and, and puts us in that. And that's like the sort of where you can feel love for each other. And so that's more... Yeah powerful and more rich than being having a lot of money that being said <laughs> now that i know this both is okay go ahead and give me a lot of money because uh <laughs> you yep. know because that would be fun too yeah you know also yeah. to to you being humbled and i'm not putting you down but when you say hey do you know <laughs> willie nile usually the answer is like who the fuck is willie that's nile? not true no hold on that is not true. Hold on, but that then just depends but, on who you ask. Yes, exactly. Most everybody I know. Fucking, but then when you look at the that, list of people, doesn't matter who way, are, who yeah. are fans of yours, mm. and and just to name drop, Bruce Springsteen, Bono, Lucinda Williams, Jacob Dylan, Pete Townsend, um, the those first two albums you put out had such an impact, and and people love them. To, to have like someone like Bruce invite you on stage at Giant Stadium or say to you backstage to I think it was to uh, one guitar that he wished he would have wrote that song says a lot about who you are and, and for you to hold your own on stage with him and not be phased I've been I've been lucky you know I, you like Joseph believes in himself you know and 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 I believe in what I'm doing you know I'm comfortable with it and if you believe in yourself, you can find that faith and move forward as best you can. You'll, you'll, you'll bump against this wall that well. You'll, you'll, find, you'll, you'll find your way. You know, and and it, you'll have days when you don't believe in yourself or you have a hard time getting abso there. Absolutely. There's but then you bounce back. We all have days like that. No doubt about it. It's part of living. Yeah. Part of living. And I've been very fortunate you know, with, uh, uh, with that kind of thing. I remember one time I, I, was, I went to see The Who in 1983 in Buffalo. I went to say hello to them. And uh, it was David Johansson, The Clash, and then The Who. And I was on the side of the stage because, you know, they're friends of mine. And uh, I got to see The Clash, you know, in, in their prime. It was so, so great. David Johansson was so great. And The Who were incredible. And I'm standing on the side of the stage, you know, 80,000 people in uh, uh, whatever that stadium was called, Muffalo. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, Mick Jones, The Clash, is standing a few feet away. And I thought, well, damn, I'm, I'm going to say hello. You know, it doesn't happen every day. I go, hey, man, Mick, I'm a big fan. I'm Willie Nile. I'm, I'm great to meet you. And he goes, hey, man, I got your records. 
I love your stuff. I go, get out of here. You don't. He goes, you know, he knew who I was. It was like, I wasn't looking for that, but you just never know. You do your, you do your best. Like we said before, you just do your best, put it out there. If you mean it and you believe it, maybe somebody else will believe it. If it makes you feel good, maybe they'll make them, you know, somebody else feel good. And you just go for your roll from there. You know, I may wake up tomorrow going, oh, this sucks. What am I doing with my life? I'm going to become a plumber, move to Alaska. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the postal service. Yeah, yeah. Hey. They need help. Yeah. <laughs> hey, where's my mail? Where's that little? I don't know. No, did, I, did I ever send you that? You're clip? an essential worker, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> for a lot of people. Did you're I ever an essential send you worker. The clip of Bono and and Willie. There, there's this one. I have to mention it. Tell him. Tell and, us a Bono. And, and, wait, wait. Tell before, us a Bono or Bruce story, or else Ehud won't leave yeah, us alone. Yeah. That's what he's. That's what he's no, fishing for. Because, because <laughs> I got so for people who don't know, I got a clip from somebody like from an arena in Italy, 2015. Uh-huh. You two are singing "A Beautiful Day." And during the bridge, I think Bono goes, see the sky in I, red and blue. Oh, yeah. See Willie Nile yeah. right in front of you. Yeah, you sent me that. And it's just like, it, I'm getting goosebumps. And I and you're in the crowd, and That's Bono true. from the stage is like dropping huh? dropping your name inside a lyric of a U2 song. Like, what? what I mean, is that? I was like, oh, what? what? I, just flown, I had just flown there that day, you know, and I was jet-lagged. And uh, I went to the show. <clears throat> and uh, um, Christina was shooting the show, and uh, they were kind enough to give her a photo pass. And they've all, you know, you two's been really good to me, They're very kind. And and you know, I'm sitting in the audience, fried. It was a great show. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a beautiful day, I, I get a shout out, and I went, "What the? I go, who does that? I don't you know, know. <laughs> what what a, what a sweet, sweet, kind, generous soul, to, you know, a selfless soul. And five minutes later, this woman comes up and taps me on the shoulder. Excuse me. So, yeah, she says, are you Willie? So, yeah. She goes, did, did you hear the shout out? I go, yeah. And she gave me, a, she gave me a, a card with a note on it from him. You know, he was not speaking before shows to save his voice. But, I mean, that's thoughtful. That is I mean, thoughtful. God bless, God bless Bono and you two. Yeah, um, I've been lucky. You know, I'm doing my best, doing you know, singing my songs, and to get, I've been more, I've been getting way more than anybody, any one person deserves in that regard. No, you deserve it, man. You're uh, uh, not to blow smoke, what but it, you're, 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 that does like. I, I get what uh, I almost called you Bono. What Bono's <laughs> saying? Over there, but, I'll take it. But, uh, but. Okay, I went on 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 a road one time with this A and R guy. I can't remember his name. My apologies to my f- old friend. Uh, but uh, you know, he was playing Willie Nile records, and 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 to him, you're just like on the same as same level as Bob Dylan. He put you above Bob Dylan. Oh, he was like, well, I don't know about that, but yeah. Right, but I'm saying like so that's uh that's where you sit in a lot of, in a lot of people in a lot of people's estimation. Well, so you know what it's, it's you know, as long I'm as, not surprised by the Bono thing. As long as I can put it's, yeah, I mean, how many people are on the but receiving nice end of something like that? As, yeah. as long as it, Bruce says, "Hey, I wish I would have wrote that song." I don't know how many people like get that in the dressing room privately from Bruce. As, as long as I can put food, as long as I can put food on the table, you know, it's like. You know, and have the occasional good bottle of wine and, you know, get to play my songs and stuff and share life with family and friends. It's about that, you know. Yeah. And I've been way fortunate in a lot of ways, and I'm very grateful. Yeah. I mean, just deeply grateful. I don't assume and take, take you know, uh, for granted any of it. 
You know? And I would say too, like that, all those things that you said it is about, which I agree it is about, it's uh, the, if, if you go into those stratospheric levels, those things, they can still be maintained, but it, I think it becomes more complicated to maintain them. So in some ways, there's a gift to keeping it mom, pa shop level. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, less is more sometimes. It can be. Although when it comes to the bank account, that, that, that's not quite the case. Of course, but. yeah. I'm not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no to a few extra pairs of mariachi pants. Mariachi pants. Mariachi pants, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. in 1980, then you earned, in, oh, in 89, that's when you came back. 90 or no? Not, the record came out in 91. I signed, Nin- I signed with Columbia in, I think it was 89. Yeah. You know, the, that, that 88 I signed and took a couple of years to make the record. came out in 91. And that's a big label because that's Bruce Springsteen and Dylan and all that. Yeah, it was, really, it was an honor to make that record. I'm happy. It's called Places I've Never Been. Mm-hmm. You know, work with some great musicians. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful. The camaraderie of musicians. 40th anniversary of I, that album. That's right. No, it's the 40th anniversary of the very first album, the 1980. First one? Oh, wait. Yeah, self, my math is wrong. Sorry. Self, uh, self, welcome to my world with math. But... Uh, yeah, 40 years since my first record this year. And wow. I, I, it's like, it doesn't seem like, it seems like it was just a little while ago. I know time is so weird like that with music. I, I have a 20 year reissue coming out of Come to Where I'm From, my uh, second record. It was produced by T-Bone Burnett and they unearthed like 13 bonus songs from no that way. session. Wow. And it's called Heavy Bullets. It's coming out in a month. It's coming out in June. Nice. Do you remember and, any of those songs? And it's as good as the record. It's as good as Vacancy, which also came from that, that session. Nice. And so it's like this 20-year-long ca- time capsule of a new record Holy that's shit. coming out. And it's like got the song called Heavy Bullets, which is like, I see revolution everywhere. I can feel heavy bullets in the air. There's a revolution in the air. It's like similar to like like the subconscious wisdom thing, the oracle of the subconscious mind. Like it feels like it's right on time for right now. It feels so good. Good for you, Joseph. Good for you. Yeah. That's nice to find a bunch of tracks like that. That's sweet. But when I listen to it, it might as well have been made like last week in terms of how I feel about it too because I'm in the middle of a new song cycle and working and really pumped on a lot of these new songs I've been writing lately. And I'm super, so I'm super jazzed and excited about it. But when I hear this 20-year-old thing, I'm just as excited about it. Like... I don't have any, there's no, there's no like, oh, well, that was old me. It's just, nah, I don't have that feeling. It feels like work that gets to come out that I'm excited about, period. What it's coming out, coming out in June. I think that's awesome. Yeah, but don't, do you feel that same way when you listen to your old stuff? Like, like it's just ageless in some kind of way. Sometimes, I don't listen to it, but, you know, if I hear it like on the radio or something, I don't put, put on to listen, you know, I might come across it. Uh, mm. Uh, but I'm, when you play it live, when I play it live, you know. I guess I'm trying to say I feel like music transcends time. Yeah, that's it. It can do that at its best. Yeah, yeah I definitely feel that. Yeah, yeah. And these days, the ones I'm putting out, the year after year, another record every year now, and and uh, I wouldn't if if they if I didn't think the songs were worth it, I wouldn't spend waste of time and energy to do it. But they seem to be, you know, I'm, I'm having more fun than ever. So it's it does transcend time. Yeah, it's part of the reason we do it. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Time and place stand still. Remember when you're a kid and summer vacation time comes along, and uh, it seems like the summer's endless. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, that sensation where time suspends. Mm-hmm. I like that feeling. And being an adult has its drawbacks. Where you got to pay attention to things and pay this bill, do that, be here. You know, the responsibility, shoulder weight. 
you know, I love when that when time gets suspended like that. Time's an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this pandemic was like. Time was suspended. Yeah. And it still is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long it'll be lasting, but. Well, we've been going on for, speaking of time, how long have we been doing uh, this? 90 minutes, maybe a little yeah, I've got to go rob a bank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got to, I think we got to let Willie go. I got to go. a little hot in here. I'm, I'm sweating here. I'm got, yeah. I got to go rob a bank. And since, you, some, since you told I gotta, that. I got to mask up and rob a bank with Willie. Yeah, yeah, so we're ready. They're going to they're fucking recognize me with these pants, yeah, you, though. Yeah. <laughs> with those pants, yeah. they're going to catch you, dude. <laughs> so, Willie, people who want to support you these days with the new album can obviously yeah. buy a digital copy or a physical copy on your online. Store yeah, or? anybody goes to willynile.com, um, mm. W-I-L-L-I-E, nile.com. There's uh, links to everything. You can, you know, you, you can buy it. Uh, it's out today. Is Digi- there a link to donate, just plain donate or support? There's, there's, there's not a link to support at the website, um, but this later this week I'll be doing a, a we'll be putting up a, a, a live thing I did in the studio, and every every two weeks I'll be doing a you know, so some kind of some yeah. kind of live uh, stuff where people can tip jar it. But I just like to say while we're here talking, and wishing everybody well, you know, and yeah. and th- th- that are listening, you know, be vigilant, take care of yourselves and your loved ones, and and keep the faith. These are hard times for ev- mm-hmm. everybody, you know, and uh, and we'll get through it. You know, we'll stick together. We'll get through it. Be vigilant. You know, wash behind your ears. What do they say? Wash your hands, wash behind your ears. I'm saying boost those immunity systems, you know? Like, let's get some cold showers Stay going. Healthy. Some Wim Hof, you know? Wim Hof breathing exercises. Cold showers. <laughs> a, a fast can re, can rewire your immunity system. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a three-day fast at the beginning of this. I feel like that's kind of why. I actually did a five-day, yeah, seven-day. You did day. long. You went long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what kept me healthy, but also uh, lots of vitamin C supplements. I take the, the high-end stuff, the liquid one that you can, and vitamin D, all the supplements. Kill it. Mm. And Kill while it. you do all that, listen to New York at Night, available and everywhere then, now. And then also get Willie's new album, New York at Night, which will which will boost your spirit. Yeah, that'll pick you up. It's an enthusiastic, so. uh, you know, plea for the the joy of life in New York City and yeah. love. Icon. Everywhere, and I, I know we want to end, but he has. You have a song called. I actually don't want to oh, end, yeah. but but I feel like you have a song called "The Mayor of the Lower East Side." That's right, and Willie. Is, is the mayor of the well? No, he's considered <laughs> he's the mayor, the mayor of the West, of the West Village. Village for years. Yeah, and I'll just say from experience, walking down the street with him in the West Village on McDougal, yeah. every two seconds someone stops yeah. him and hey Willie, what's up? And bumping into little Steven. How, how is, is is the Shout West? Out little do Steven. you see the usual uh, people you see in the West Village these days? Well, obvi- obviously, there's less people. You know, you, you'll see some. But, you know, the streets are uh, empty uh, a good bit of the time, so it's not like it was. But they're around. Sometimes I'll run into them here and there, you know, in the delis. I'll see the people I know. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great neighborhood, and I like uh, a sense of community, you know. I feel like well, I belong there in some way. You know, I feel part of it. I guess that's a better way to put it. And, uh, yeah, man, crazy times. And, you know, songs get born every minute, you know, a little revolution here a little revolution there and i'm over there painting on west 10th street are you yep so it's a new it's a new golden age new york city about to pop off there you go willie's album yeah man this guy painting 
Maybe we could do hey, who, some sort of collaboration whip, where he's hey, playing in your whip, gallery. Whipped cream all over everything. Yeah, well, that was in the past. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm over that. He's over the whipped cream period. You know, hygiene uh, now and everything. You know. But maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's time for another golden age in New York. It how, is. About, how about that? Yeah. Let's, de- let's declare it now. Yeah, it's about to happen. It's about to pop off. You know, I'll tell you a story uh, and maybe finish here. The, the okay. in 1917, because you're a painter. Um, uh, there's a famous painter uh, it'll come to me new descending a staircase a cubist painter uh, Marcel Duchamp oh, Duchamp I love him Duchamp Duchamp had a painting he was famous uh, uh, for that painting it was you he know, worked on it forever did he? I think so and I think for years after that people would say to him well, what are you working on and he would say I'm not working on anything he didn't want to talk about it mm-hmm. but one night in 1917 the history this is interesting for the history of uh Greenwich Village in New York. One night, um, Marcel Duchamp, the director of the Provincetown Playhouse on McDougal Street, like seven by seven people, artists, painters, poets, playwrights, a group of people got together and they snuck into the Washington Square Arch. There's a small little door there, which is now locked. Uh, dude, I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with that door. Of that. Okay, yeah. here's the story. So in 1917, <laughs> um, they snuck in like midnight they went all the way up to the top they put chinese lanterns and balloons up read a proclamation declaring greenwich village to be an independent republic for bohemian artists wow 1917 spent the night up there you know celebrating but like that's i mean that's i'm obsessed that's fascinating and they lock it now it's hard to hard to break i'm obsessed i can't believe that that's your project i never knew that but i've always wanted to go in there that's so weird (laughs) i've like i've seen that door and i'm like I want to like figure out how to get in there. If you, it's so weird. You just hire a locksmith; he'll you open know, it for you. That'd be funny. One of my neighbors, I'll tell you what. One of my neighbors, like when I go on, I go up on the roof these days to watch the sun go down. Mm-hmm. I have a glass of wine and watch the sunset. And the, the the building next to mine, there's a woman. She is a tour guide for Washington Square Park. Yeah. You know, a volunteer. I'll ask her. Yeah, I'll say. Is there any chance I can get my dude, buddy? It'd be amazing if we could we could cut a track in there. We want to recreate. Get, get Ahu to film it, and we sing a song. We'll go we'll write a song we'll, about that. We'll and, go up top, and we'll, we'll get balloons, Chinese lanterns. We'll read a proclamation declaring, and we'll make a song. We'll re we'll reenact. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll suggest it to you. We could do a reenactment of the nineteen seventy seventeen uh, 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 incident. That's yeah. but that's uh, nineteen seventeen. Pretty okay. interesting, huh? Incredible. Well, I have his journals, uh, Duchamp. He, really? Uh, yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm a bit obsessed with him. I, I think oh. he's one of the you know most you know ingenious minds ever. Like, oh. you know, his the Armut thing with the toilet. You know that that's him. The toilet that he did. Recent. The, the, the urinal. No. He's the first one that put the the urinal as an art piece. As an art piece. <laughs> and it signed R. Mutt. And the reason why is because it was it was uh, part of an art like uh, competition, which he was the judge. So he couldn't put his own name on it. And, and uh, I think he thought it would be really controversial. And it, it's become like super hugely famous. You've heard. Steve, yeah, I've heard. Of, urinal, I've heard of the, the urinal R. Mutt. Yeah. Right. R. Mutt. And. <laughs> But uh, it didn't really make that much of an impact. It was just kind of got ignored and overlooked at that time. So that's pretty interesting. And plus, the way he made a living, this also goes with what we're talking about. Because uh, it goes with us, too. Because the way he made a living in his life, he was a tutor. He didn't make a lot of money as an artist. Really? Nah. 
he became like who he became through history. Really? Yeah. Most most artists. Yeah. He was a, he so he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like rocking it like Picasso or some shit. Hmm. Picasso would fill a house and then just leave it all filled and then move to another house. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do, but <laughs> Don't give up anyway, the dream. Yeah, don't give up the dream. Isn't that funny though? Yeah. I, I had no idea. Armut. In Buffalo at the uh, the Albright Knox Art Gallery. The new descending staircases in that, at least growing up, it was always there. <clears throat> but I love that story, the history of the village. There's a, on the corner of LaGuardia and West 4th Street, where the NYU library is. It's a big red building. In the 1800s, it used to be a rooming house, and they used to call it the House of Genius. Because artists, sculptors, painters, playwrights, crazies, wannabes, would all be crashing there. They used to call it the House of Genius. Yeah. There's if you go to a CVS. There's a tour guide right here. I know. There's oh, if wow. you go to a CVS, um, they have the one on Bleecker Street has a like a little book stand, and they've got all these New York picture books. And one is Greenwich Village, and there's a photograph of the House of Genius. Anyway, I love the village. It, it's alive for me. Edgar Allan Poe. I know where he first read The Raven on Waverly. Really? Yeah. I mean, he used to he lived on Third Street. He was broke. You know, he had hard times, poor, poor Edgar Allan Poe. But I love the village. It's inspiring to me. It still is. So let's I, let's declare today, new golden age for art. New uh, golden age. New golden age. In new York City yeah, starts man. starts now. Starts now. Did you did you ever hang out at the Chelsea Hotel with like Leonard Cohen? And, I did not. I mean, yeah. I, I used to. I, I was there, but I didn't. I didn't. That wasn't one of my stopping points. Right. You know. Yeah. Mm -mm. All right. Well, let's declare this the new golden age. There we go. Starting I'm now. That's a good place to end it. I'm up. good yeah. with that. Uh, uh, yeah. Ever upward. Ever upward. And and what's your and what's your dad say? Bring it on. This is bring, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Hey man, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Willie Nile. Thanks for what having a, me. What a treat, man. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Honestly, thank what you. A, what a treat. It's a pleasure. I I love talking to you guys. We could talk for days and stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Love you, dude. Thanks thank for, you. Thanks thank for all you, the thanks for all the kind words. All right. God bless. Take care. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.